So we can actually be too passionate, which then can turn into overconfidence and uh, an overdrive on action bias. Before we get into today's episode, we have a word from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They will never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader. The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture, and for themselves. We help unlock their growth. Through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, or speaking engagements, we create foundational people over profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar, culture, inclusion, and equity sit at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today at www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Enjoy today's episode. I have the absolute pleasure of having a conversation with someone who's considered to be one of the pioneering humanistic researchers in workplace curiosity. Her work has been published in several publications, both domestic and international, in peer-reviewed journals like the Journal of Organizational Change Management. She's in business publications like Forbes and CEO. She works with amazing clients like Hulu, Verizon, and she also finds time somehow to still be the director of client development at USC Marshall School of Business and um, also a dedication research fellow. Like, where'd you get the time? And my guest, Dr. Allison Hosmeyer, like you can see she gets busy. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Yes, and and I, as you can tell, I could probably talk about my work all day long. So here we go. Curiosity <laughs> <laughs> is one of my favorite subjects, especially when we start to explore mindsets and the different intersectionalities between mindset and curiosity that's in my wheelhouse so researching you researching your work and has been quite eye-opening actually but before we delve straight into that i always like to go back to the origin story and where it all started out for you as a business development exec so I, I typically uh, built businesses at the intersection of tech and media, usually on the fringe of new technology and, and typically global purview. And so I worked with with a lot of different people. Uh, I worked with international sales teams and cross-functional teams. And it was during the latter part of my career, I really noticed a lot of anxiety, a lot of complacency. I was in leadership development programs and was observing the different leadership styles. And, you know, why does that guy get promoted when he's driving his team on fear? I had a very different orientation, much more of a service orientation. And, and so I've always been fascinated between the mind-body connection. I'm a longtime yoga practitioner as well. 
And I decided I, I wanted to learn more about it, like, you know, go, get back into the psychology of it, into the science of it, into social science, and, and just see what I could learn and, and discover. And so I did that. And through the course of my studies, I thought I was going to be investigating anxiety. Uh, and it was in my mindfulness research that I thought, well, wow, can you be curious and anxious all at the same time? Maybe that's it. Uh, unfortunately, that was incredibly naive. It did, however, send me down this beautifully rich, windy journey into the world of curiosity to discover it. It's really multifaceted. We tend to have a very linear view of curiosity. We don't really understand it to the fullest capability of the potential that we have in, in each one of us. And it came, and I came back to anxiety in a way because anxiety is indelibly tied to curiosity in the dimension of stress tolerance. And, and during that time, there, there are other wonderful researchers who are quite, quite prolific in curiosity. And we see a movement in the research to just starting to really investigate workplace curiosity. And there's become kind of a movement to get a better understanding of how we can harness curiosity in the workplace because of so much change. I mean, if COVID hasn't showed us how much change is going on, I don't know what will. And we call this in textbook a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And my belief, and I think the belief of the other curiosity researchers, is that if we could really understand curiosity, it's such a it's such a wonderful tool and gateway for really productive workplace relationships, for innovation, and for other things. And, and now we're at a point where some organizations are really taking note. I would say Microsoft, Novartis, you know, IBM. Intuit, others, where where they're really trying to integrate curiosity as part of their culture. Did you always have a, because in fact, when I'm thinking about your early career and the work that you were doing, especially in, in the startup world, I would have assumed that curiosity would have been a massive part of that because it's very innovative and very fast moving and fast paced. Is that something that you thought about and you saw happening as well? Was there any, a lot of curiosity in that field or was there a lack of curiosity at that point in time? It depend. It really depends on who you're with. I mean, personally, I don't know if I ever labeled myself as a curious person. I loved pioneering and putting things together in new ways, which is probably in hindsight why I gravitated towards research because essentially we're bringing disparate things and creating new insights. And so I, I loved being challenged because I loved being stretched and to figure out how I could, you know, launch something that was not yet adopted. In what way could I craft some really powerful partnerships that would be really beneficial for people to use the technology and whatnot? In the startup world, it's interesting because when I talk to folks that work with entrepreneurs, I said, I, I just don't think my the founder is that curious. What happens is there we have to be careful when we're, we're founder CEOs that we don't go overdrive on our cognitive biases. So we can actually be too passionate, which then can turn into overconfidence 
and an overdrive on action bias. So then we're not taking in the right signals or we're not going properly through our MVP testing cycles because we're like, no, we, I know what the market needs. I got this. And so there, there has been research out of Harvard that's showing that there are certain cognitive biases that are actually the undoing of, of startups because of the, the just general illusion that I've got this, I know what I'm creating, which is also kind of fundamental to engineers. Like they get a new shiny object and they're like, this is fantastic. Everybody wants it. <laughs> and it's like, well, does the market really need it? And, and I had that when I was working with engineers, like, yes, your product is amazing, but my customer feedback is X, Y, and Z. So how do we make your beautiful shiny object, you know, deliver what the customer needs? So it's interesting to see how curiosity gets shut down and we can have persistence and passion and conviction. But then if we go way over on the spectrum on those, then the curiosity gets shut down. Does that create an organization? Because you talked about how organizations start to look more into curiosity. If your curiosity gets shut down, what does that create in, in terms of people, organizational culture and even thinking about it to where we are right now with the great resignation, I also have to make links into, is that some of the reasons why people are actually leaving those spaces because they don't have space to be curious and to expand their ways of thinking and new approaches as well? Yeah, earlier studies showed that there were four primary obstacles to, to curiosity in the organization. That was top-down decision-making, uh, preference for the status quo, lack of creative exploration time, and the fear of being isolated or ostracized for bringing unconventional, nonconformist beliefs forward. So you can see if you're working in such a confined, restricted environment, because really what those obstacles are saying that is, is really saying, I support self-preservation and survival. I'm not supporting and normalizing experimentation and exploration in the hopes of thriving. And when we look at the research, um, which is why I wrote my article for Chief Learning Officer on conformity, conformity can serve us to a certain extent, right? When we have a pandemic, wearing masks is of being service to others. When we have really um, limiting conformity, which is supporting those obstacles in corporations, then we know in the research, increase in conformity, lower openness to change, and uh, the lower the well-being. Because think about it, if I tell you that you need to act a certain way and you need to mold to your your box, you are going to be feeling pretty frustrated. You're going to go on autopilot, which is the complacency that I saw in my environment, when it, which started me on this journey. And at some point, you're just going to be so de-energized and disengaged, you're going to bail. And part of the reason is because we are not creating environments, like I said, that really support and nurture and normalize experimentation and exploration in an iterative way. Like there's informed risk taking and you can do it in a context that is psychologically safe. So it's wonderful that we are continually seeing an increase in conversations around psych safety because we want healthy debate, respectful debate, dissension, because that's the birthplace of creativity. We want to have a learning environment 
we want to see uh, more diversity and inclusion at the table, absolutely, uh, because we know diversity at the table gives us diversity of ideas. Um, and so I think it's, it's an invitation for companies and teams to, 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 to have more of that, what I call explorer mindset. So an explorer mindset is the one that has greater self-awareness in terms of putting your assumptions and preconceived notions on the back burner. It's a very we stand. It's a very much about leaning in to help improve, you know, asking open questions, being receptive to what you're hearing, because curiosity is not just about being inquisitive. You have to also have an open-mindedness, an openness to what's coming in so you can figure out how to integrate it. And it may, you know, it may not be so comfy what you hear. It could totally contradict one of your beliefs. It could mean that you have to totally pivot, let go of what you just originally thought was going to work. But in the long run, if we use our curiosity in this way, the research shows that we reduce errors. So it's actually more efficient to slow down, pause, reframe, rethink, you know, test things out and move forward. If we're always in expert mode, which means it's my agenda, I'm right, I'm very directive, we're doing it this way, I'm holding on to what I know because it's an illusion of safety, so actually I'm going to get left behind even more and then I'm going to hold on to it even more because my anxiety is going up. And so the, the invitation is like, how can we move from a me, like self-preservation, to a we exploration? So would it be fair to say that curiosity is on one side of the spectrum and on the other side there is fear and ego and all those different attributes of self-preservation? And that's the reason why sometimes we're curiosity doesn't come through to the forefront because people are holding on to those attributes on that side of the spectrum. Yeah, so we we know from the research that you know when our cortisol levels go up, our testosterone levels go up, we're in we're in fight or flight. And that's when we're in our primal brain and we are trying to move from that that stance, um, get more to a parasympathetic state where we're actually releasing oxytocin and other things in our frontal cortex where we can think more clearly and be more centered. So anytime you're in survival mode, you're feeling threatened to some degree, everything's going to shut down. You are, you are not going to lean in to say, hey, what's, what's going on here? Because you're having a lot of narratives at that point. I mean, I just, I just worked with uh, a team this week on defining their core values and we worked through on how their core values could either put their inner critic in overdrive or actually mitigate it. And one of the executives reached out to me afterwards and he said, Hey, I'm having this situation. I'm not kind of seeing the connection. And it was because he was so rooted in assumptions. Like there was a big change that potentially could impact his role, something he hadn't signed up for. And the assumptions just had him spiraling out. And so with the curiosity, what I was asking him to do is, can you just take a pause and go explore, or I wonder what, what information you need in order to have clarity on what's really happening and so you can make an informed decision. And it's because his inner critic went on overdrive based on past experience, like, oh no, here we go. You know, my value of fairness is being threatened right now. And 
I, I don't know what's going to happen. And then, you know, he starts getting frustrated and angry. And as soon as he decided to go explore, his anxiety went down. He got the information he needed. He just was like, okay. And, and then he could step back and see how he spiraled out based on just our, our past experience are so good at creating our assumptions of what the pre- what's actually happening in the present. So I see time and time again in my work and with my clients, if we can just take the pause and go explore and even experiment with new behaviors, new ways of engaging. And it doesn't have to be like this huge momentum, like change of, of life kind of exploration. It can be very methodical. It can be very, you know, just in a, in a psychologically safe way. Like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I don't really understand where this person's coming from and it's really affecting me. Well, how can you go back and engage in a way to, to figure out what's going on? And, and I see it time and time again. And then the anxiety comes down. Just the act of, of investigation, of being receptive to what's coming in. They, they build their resilience that way. We, we call that the stress tolerance dimension where we're actually managing kind of the doubt and stress and discomfort of the exploration. So to be able to do that, to bring your, your stress levels down, to be able to ask those kind of questions requires a level of introspection. But for those who naturally are not good at that or for those who run away from introspection because of other things that it, it could it comes up because it's it brings up a lot when you start taking that time to actually do that and slow down in fact yes. last year was a great example where so many people have been running 100 miles an hour and they were forced to stop and that stop really exposed a lot of other areas that they've just tried to avoid and used other distractions to to fill that space so how if i'm a leader I'm in that camp of a struggle with introspection. I run away from it. How do I get to be more curious? So reflection is a big part of leadership and curiosity. When I did my research, there's a process in curiosity that you go through. You go through the 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 awareness and not knowing that, oh, wow, something's unfamiliar. Something doesn't seem right. There's an incongruence. I got to, you know, I, I have a gap that I've got to solve for, you know, something just happened with a competitor, whatever it is, or something just happened with the, with my team. And then you go explore. And then you, at the end of that, there is a point where you're like, okay, this is what I found. How am I going to integrate it for what I find is for the leaders that just are on the treadmill because they're, they're so in the weeds of wanting to control. They're not delegating or developing their team because they have the mentality that, let me just do it, it's faster if I do it. And (laughs) that's a bad cycle, right? Because then you're, they wonder why their calendar is a disaster. They have no time for strategic thinking time. They can't pull out, why are they doing everything? And it's like, well, you're not, you're not empowering your team to figure out the how. You're the what and why, and your team is the how. So if we can start there, if you were the what and why, what would you be differently doing differently. And a lot of times it would be like, oh, wow, I'd be delegating, I'd be coaching. And it's a practice. Like fundamentally, you you need to start being able to see if what you're doing is really where you should be spending your time and your energy. If you really thought about you're the one holding the North Star and are you doing things in a way that really supports laddering to that North Star and uh, removing obstacles in a way that empowers your team to do the how, 
you probably come up with a different way of showing up. And the reflection part is so important. And even with my clients that maybe they were like, oh, I'm not a big reflector. You just start reflecting on one thing at a time. So for example, I have a new coachee. She's so incredibly talented talented in the financial services industry. I just gave her an opportunity. I I asked her to create the space and reflect on certain questions because she said this really fundamental career inflection point. And we had an amazing discussion following that. She said, wow, I realize I just do not take the time or the space to get off the treadmill to do this kind of thinking. And it's really brought things forward that I, I have been putting on the back burner and not been facing. And she found it empowering. So I think for those folks that are like, mm, I don't know, reflection seems time consuming. Again, it's going to prevent errors down the road. It's going to bring things forward that you haven't thought about. It's going to illuminate a different perspective. I mean, it gives you opportunities to reframe. Reframing is such a powerful tool, especially in this world. We need to start reframing things in order to get a different perspective. And it can be a matter of just, you know, in the morning, looking at your calendars, figuring out your intention, how you want to show up that day. And then at the end of the day, take five minutes and say, hmm, how'd I do? I mean, literally, it's like a five-minute thing in the morning and a five-minute thing at the end of the day. And you can start and, and jot it down. How'd you do? And so it's just getting started because fundamentally what has been consistent feedback about curiosity is that it's intentional, it takes effort and practice, and we're all going to fall off, and the practice is coming back to the practice. And if we don't make pauses, we are going to get burnt out, we're going to miss really important cues and flags and markers that are really important information. It, you just you just miss a lot that could actually really help you. One of the key things around reflection that I definitely resonate with and I tell my clients all the time as well, even the, the five minutes a day example over a three period gives you data that you can actually go back and assess for yourself and you can see things without someone else telling you. And there's only five minutes and it's that short term pain. I see a short term pain for a long term gain because it moves you ahead so much and just being able to slow down and stop makes all the makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I I remember at the peak of COVID, I was reading a McKinsey article. They had interviewed a CEO of a hospital, and he said he recognized that for his leadership, especially in this environment and potentially going forward, he had to be as rigorous with his to-be list as his to-do list. And his to-be list was literally he sent he set an intention in the morning of how he wanted to show up for his organization that day. And he started to do that, you know, consistently. And he recognized that that part of his leadership was as equally as important as just, you know, the doing part. And I'm hopeful that COVID and now we're kind of in this hybrid work situation and we're having the great resignation that people realize like the, the, the being part is the humanistic part is even more paramount and more prominent and needs more attention than our checking off our to-do list. Be, I love that. How you want to show up to be present, 
Yes, that's powerful. And for for you, obviously, this is your work. You spend a lot of time, a lot of effort in this. How has that actually helped you in terms of overcoming fear, or has it? And let me expand what I mean. One of the things around curiosity that I find, you, you, can, you can correct me, is a lot of us are naturally curious about people, generally speaking. We have a lot of questions we have in our heads, but it's that initial, if I say this, what's going to happen? If I say this to that person, if I ask that question, where could this lead to? Or could that lead to rejection, especially in personal relationships or friendships? All those different thoughts come out. So have you been able to find ways around overcoming that, those those thoughts and those fears in your head when you're curious about a situation? And have you always been curious, actually? So when I was doing my research, I, I you know how Brene Brown talks about in her vulnerability research, she's like, oh, wow, I'm not so vulnerable. I, I had that same experience where I'm like, wow, I don't think I'm so curious. You know, as I'm looking at the data from my study participants, and what I realized is we're all fundamentally mirrors of each other. And what I mean by that is they taught me through their experiences where I have shut down my curiosity and where I have harnessed it. And it has taught me through practice, again, it goes back to the practice, to be more open and to really be aware when I'm getting triggered and shut down. Because, you know, it happens to all of us. I I think we get triggered all day long, really. (laughs) We have to be kind of vigilant about how, you know, what we're feeling and what that is really about. But what has helped me and what has helped my clients is to get really clear on your core values. So in my research there, it was, it was emergent. It's still kind of at the incubation stage, but there, there potentially is a relationship between your values and how you're curious. And there are certain values that are, are anxiety inducing such as security and tradition and conformity. I'm not saying that you can't have a value of security because I understand that provides you with something that you need. My, my invitation is to watch when that's an overdrive and to see how it amps up your anxiety and to amp up the stories. For example, I have an executive. He's very high on security. He's also very high on empathy and courage. And we are working on his executive presence because he has a lot of stories about, just like you said, when he's presenting, how's this going to go? How is it going to be received? Oh man, I'm not, I'm not saying the right thing and I'm going to get fired. You know, it's just this like cascade, this downward cascade. And none of it's baked in truth. I have, you know, persistence is one of my values. It's clear. I keep, you know, keep driving on this path. I also have love and creativity. When my persistence goes in overdrive, that's when I'm like, no, I'm going to go do this. I'm not listening to anything. And then I'm like, wow, I just let me pause and see if I can go in with a bit more love to see what's really going on here. I find that that's really helpful. I also find really helpful is There are unshakable truths you know about yourself. An unshakable truth could be, I always figure it out. And if you could just find and really sit with like, what are your three unshakable truths? And literally have them somewhere where you can see them. And and you get into that sticky situation. You can say, hey, let me check in with what what value do I need to, to check in with? And what's my unshakable truth in this moment? And I bet that will give you some comfort or at least 
empower you a bit to just go and try because the thing is if we don't try and experiment and engage we don't get new reference points we don't get new data and then we are stuck on what Dr. Dan Siegel calls the plateau of possibility where you are just in these loops and the same grooves going and going again. We need new reference points. We need new experiences to, so we can stand on the plane of possibilities. So we can see what's probable and then go test one out and then say, hey, that worked great, that didn't. Data. And that's the way we brought it and built and build resilience. If we choose to stay on the plateau of possibility, what does that mean from the kind of way we live our lives? It looks a lot like just standing in status quo, being very rigid in your beliefs and your point of view and your perspective and the more rigid you become the more closed and myopic and shut down you will become so i think this is why i find this subject really really fascinating because there's so many different areas that it it touches on there's a there's a wheel i use about my work which is like mindset informs your beliefs which informs your values your behaviors and your actions in the middle of self-awareness and as you were talking about that link between your values and, and curiosity there's so many synergies around that of, especially around how that curiosity can stop us and lead to, or that fear of curiosity can stop us and lead to a fixed mindset. But then when we push past that, we get growth mindset and then leads to the resilience that you're talking about or standing on top of that plateau of, of possibilities and limitations. Yeah. I mean, we can use everything in overdrive. You can certainly uh, have an overdrive on curiosity where you're just exploring and then you're not... You're not actually doing anything <laughs> with the exploration. So there is kind of that joyous exploration where, you know, maybe you're in a painting class or, you know, and you've, you're just there for the sheer nurturing of that experience. And I think maybe leadership has a fear that, oh, well, if I, if I tell them to go experiment and explore, that they'll just be doing it and without any outcome. And that's where leadership provide some guardrails, right? Saying, this is the end point we're trying to get get to by when, go experiment and explore in order to meet this objective and this timeline. Like there's, there are certain bound, like you, you can bound the exploration, even, even if you are in a confined, if you feel like you're in, in a confined culture. We don't want to go, always go into overdrive also because there's a way we want to contextualize it and see how it can provide information which then we can decide what to do with and then build on that so there you you can you can go to the dark side i mean there uh, there there may be a dark side to curiosity too in terms of addiction and other things so you know everything has its kind of overuse tendency I'm not feeling like we're in that place at all in the workplace. I feel like we're in dramatic underuse. And just if we could notch it up a point or two, I think we would see the benefits. How do you know when there's too much curiosity or you have too much curiosity? If you're not taking the 
time to test something out. So you can explore, like I can explore and engage with you and, and how are you taking that information and applying it next time? Like if I'm just gathering, 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 and then there's no application to what I'm gathering, then it, it's, it's just going to be some kind of abstract <laughs> in the ethers findings. And it's not really integrated in a way that gives some meaning. So everything you're doing, it should be have that, I guess, intentionality around it as to why you're exploring that, why you're being curious about that particular thing and, and going into that. Okay. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And earlier on, you mentioned initially you were looking into anxiety, which then led into you going into curiosity. Is there a large link between both? And why did you decide anxiety wasn't quite the, the space? I think that there, there, there's definitely a link. I mean, the research starting, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago was measuring anxiety to determine if that prevents or promotes a curiosity. And it can do either. So what I found was that I could still do work around anxiety through my work on curiosity. So I wasn't really leaving it completely. And it was really because of the stress tolerance dimension that's been documented in curiosity. The invitation really was for me to figure out how can I help people understand it's not how you're curious, it's if. So, for example, if you really crave certainty, you may have anxiety that then promotes you or kind of catalyzes you to explore, to actually build competencies or to job craft in a way that helps you add competencies so then you go back to certainty. So you can see that th that person is probably a really good executor, maybe somebody we need in operations. There are the people that love to pioneer and be in the murky waters of the unknown in terms of, of innovation. And they will want to kind of dive in and experiment. And, and so they may have a higher tolerance for, for that risk-taking, which may provide more of your innovative outcomes. But we need everybody because we can't just always be innovating <laughs> and not executing. And so how do we bring the different types of curiosities uh, together in a way that can be beneficial for the collective and for the organization. And so I, I always kind of cringe when somebody says, hmm, that person's not curious. And it's like, well, they're just not curious in the way you are. And again, you have a bias on what curiosity looks like, but curiosity can look quite different from for me and for you. And so it, again, it's going back if you understand what that person values how you know how they perceive the world and and kind of get stand in their shoes because we know curiosity also opens the doorway to empathy then you can see oh wow they're just they just go at it a bit differently then so if i'm curious about a person i'm generally interested in them i get to know who they are what they're about I actively listen and therefore when they operate in a particular way I have a better understanding of why they're doing it in that particular way. And it's because I've spoken that time to do the first and then be curious and investigate that in the first place. So you kind of get that, that loop flowing the way through. And therefore it's not a case of this person doesn't have any curiosity. This person just does things and approaches things differently with a different lens of curiosity. Exactly. 
Exactly. I think we we often associate curiosity with creativity and innovation. My my focus is really it's so much about intrapersonal curiosity and inter personal curiosity. We, we don't think about how we can use curiosity in our interpersonal dynamics and there is such richness there to harness. Has there been anything surprising that has come up in your work that you wouldn't think you would have experienced in curiosity? It's a great question. <laughs> I, you know, when I was doing the research, I didn't really know what I was going to find. And I think for me, it was that curiosity is not always a joyful experience. You know, I, I think we sometimes have this very rose-colored glass view of curiosity, like, hey, go be the explorer and it's going to be awesome. And it might be, it might be. What I saw in my research is that when it's connected to personal growth, it's it can be pretty tough. You know, I had studied participants that had had long-held subjective beliefs that were challenged and they wanted to figure out, you know, what the truth was and in that process they they lost friends, I mean, in terms of because they saw, they didn't believe what others believed anymore, and they were on a different truth, and that caused them to have to let go of certain relationships that were had been quite formative for them. And even one had to kind of really let go of his relationship to the church. And, you know, these are like big transformational things but what I also saw was they just came to a, a place through that process where they could live more authentically. I asked one, you know, why, how did he keep going? He said, I just had to know I was going to be okay. And so through that process of exploration, experimentation, integrating what he found, kind of having to shed masks that he had been wearing for such a long time, you know, that was, that was a... A, a painful transformative experience for him and, and he would do it all over again so you know it can it can really it can really test us and I don't think I was prepared for that because I think I had the rose-colored glass but with, with those experiences and that it was painful did it find it worthwhile in the end absolutely how do you define leadership I define leadership as Aligning, motivating, and organizing against the North Star. Ooh, you need to break that down a bit, because... <laughs> like, okay, what does that mean? You hold the vision, you hold the North Star, and then you align and motivate and organize the the teams and the, the people who are are there to enable that vision to come to reality. And you're in service of them. Wow, love that. And what would you like to see happen with leadership, with organizations, and your work around curiosity? I would love to see an openness to considering different possibilities of, of leading in different ways that require a level of not knowing, exploration, openness, and stress tolerance. And yourself as a leader, and then modeling that so that cascades down 
into the teams. So what is next for you then? Uh, it's to continue to evolve the, the practice and the work. You know, I continuously creating models and, and different kind of playbook-esque things. And then, you know, people keep asking me, where where's the book? And I said, well, I had to finish the dissertation first. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a minute. Give me a minute. And, you know, I, I'm just grateful that there is interest in the work that, you know, as I said, there are really esteemed curiosity researchers out there doing amazing research and that we have an opportunity to integrate what they're finding and to find ways just to make this more accessible. And and really, I think for me fundamentally is I, I want to help people find tools that that really put their narratives where they're supposed to be so then we can normalize experimentation and exploration. Well, I heard that there is a book coming. Just a little just, just a little while, a couple of years <laughs> down the line. It's coming. What is a book coming? <laughs> I don't know. I have been interviewed for other books, which is great. So that so the work is getting integrated in, into other books that will be coming out next year. And then, yeah, I have to sit down and figure out. I, I really have to figure out, like, you know, what is it that I really want to share? And I'm using my work with the clients to, you know, to have more more data points, more more examples. So again, it doesn't. It's not this really abstract theory on a shelf. It, it actually has been applied in in practical applications so that then people can glean those practices and use them th- themselves. Yeah, and I think that's we're talking about it before we came online. That's one of the things I love about your work is the fact that you've you've worked in organizations and now you have this theory. You can actually merge both in a really, really beautiful way that's transformational to people because you've been there, you've done that, you understand what it's like to be in organizations and trying to make this change and trying to develop curiosity and the different constraints around it as well. So your work actually comes alive in a real practical way, not just a very theory-based way. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. You know, we're all works in progress, even the practitioners, right? So (laughs) Indeed. So knowing that it's an evolution, I think that's what keeps me going, that there's always more to discover. What's the best place that people can get and find out more about you, about your work? My website is uh, drallisonh.com, so D-R-A-L-I-S-O-N-H.com. There's an opportunity to email me. Uh, they can also follow me on LinkedIn. And I love hearing from people, so don't hesitate to reach out. So all those details will be in the show notes and I definitely encourage you to look up her work. It's really, really good. It's really interesting, actually, and it applies both from a personal and a professional perspective. So both ways, curiosity is important. So really appreciate your time today and really appreciate this interview. It's been really insightful. Oh, thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. This is Everyday Leadership and I'll see you next week.